What's up, fam? You're about to hear a message from Hope Valley Church in Denver, Colorado. We are a new, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church and campus ministry in Denver, Colorado. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for like a day or a whole lifetime, we trust that this message will help you take your next steps to follow him. If you're in the Denver metro area, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You can check us out at our website at hvdenver.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, however you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Oh, and share. Now, let's jump in. All right, so hey, let's jump into the Word. We're going to continue our series on Luke. Let's go. But before, <laughs> we're looking at Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at 25 through 30. But before we get there, I want to introduce you to a guy named, uh, named Samuel. Samuel was, uh, was the child of Hannah. This is all in 1 Samuel chapter 3 in the book of the Bible in the Old Testament. Hannah had this child. She was crying out to God. She was barren, and she was just so lonely and asking God to bless her with a child. And she, and, and she said, that, God, if you give me this child, I'll dedicate him to your purpose. And so eventually God heard, answered her prayer, and, and she gave birth to Samuel. And so as she promised, when Samuel came of a certain age, she took Samuel to the temple and entrusted his care to Eli, who was the, the, the priest. He was the prophet. And, and so, so uh, Hannah takes Samuel to Eli, and he's Eli, or Samuel's learning the ways of God. He's learning how to relate to Yahweh, and he's learning how to to. Uh, he's learning about the priestly duties and what it means to relate to God. And then there's this little breakthrough moment in, in Samuel's life where one night he's sleeping and he hears Eli call his name. So he goes in and he's like, hey, uh, you, you called me. Eli's like, no, that, that wasn't me. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back and Eli calls him again. Samuel goes to him. Hey, you, you called me. I didn't call you. He goes, ah, Samuel, you're hearing the voice of God. And he's calling you. Next time God calls you, respond, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So he goes back to bed. And Samuel hears the voice again. And this time, instead of mistaking it for Eli, he says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And God spoke to Samuel that night. And he said, hey, I got some things that I want to tell you. I'm going to do some stuff in the people of Israel. And it's going to be shocking. It's going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to clean things up. I want to heal my people. And I want to get them on the right path. Effectively, that's a paraphrase. And then the story of Samuel moves on. He becomes the, one of the greatest prophets and a judge. It's kind of a neat crossover time. And, well, he's the final judge and a prophet. And he kind of, he's this kind of unique character in all of Scripture. He's a remarkable human being and how he relates to God. But what I want us to learn from the story of Samuel and to be encouraged from, from the story of Samuel is that God speaks. God has never stopped speaking. And I believe that God is even speaking to you that God has spoken to you, and maybe you didn't recognize it as God. So, like Samuel, you, mis- you mistake it, mistook it, mistaken it, you mistooked it, mistook it, you misunderstood, and, 
and, and you blamed, and, and, and you thought it was something else. You thought it was your imagination, or you thought it was just your coach, or you thought it was just, you know, a parent. You thought it was just your old youth pastor, but it was really the Spirit of God trying to get your attention. I am persuaded that the Spirit of God is speaking. It's just a question of how will we respond to him. And today in Luke chapter 10, what we're going to see is the way somebody had who had, they understood correctly. They knew the information, but their response revealed the condition of their heart and Jesus' response to that. So we're looking at Luke chapter 10. I just realized that Wayne is here in here. So Pastor Andrew, can you, can you uh, read this passage for me? I know you knew, you knew it was coming. I didn't. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 30. If you could go ahead and stand to your feet because participation is better than? Observation. Excellent. And so uh, we stand out of reverence for Scripture. Uh, it's actually only six verses. So read with Pastor Andrew. He will set the pace for us. Uh, but we'll read this out loud with him. Uh, because there's something amazing that happens when our ears hear our mouth declare the word of God. It's great. All right, family, here we go. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you that we get to understand you more in this. And I pray that you would help Pastor David to articulate what you wanted your people to know, what you want for us here today. And that, God, that we would leave here changed uh, because we had an encounter with you here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So this lawyer knows that Jesus is remarkable knows that he has remarkable authority, knows that he has remarkable understanding. And he's like, I got to figure out if he knows if, what he's really talking about. And hoping that this, was a, this is a theme that's going to develop in the book of Luke. Now they're going to go from just curiosity to also trying to trap Jesus, saying something that he shouldn't say, something that would disqualify his ministry, both in the eyes of the, the city, in the eyes of the Jewish people, and in the eyes of the leadership with the hopes of pushing him out. They're trying to trap him. And so here he is having this conversation. And so the man asks him a question, and like a good rabbi, Jesus responds to his question with a, with a question. It's not because Jesus doesn't know. Anytime you see Jesus asking a question, it's actually Jesus teaching a lesson. So asking a question is Jesus teaching a lesson. Just look for that because there are different times in Scripture where we get confused about what Jesus is doing because we think that maybe he doesn't know or maybe we think that he doesn't understand the moment. And we make it about how much did Jesus know as God and how much did he not know. But really what's happening is Jesus was trying to instruct them and he's trying to instruct him, uh, instruct us with the wisdom of a question so he can draw out what's really happening. So this man asks this, he answers the question correctly. And Jesus is like, that's exactly it. You nailed it, my friend. And sometimes what we do is we look at love God, love your neighbor as like an easy way out of religion. Anybody done that? 
you're like, oh, well, it's just love God, love your neighbor. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Like, that's boiled down. But when you really begin to understand what that invitation is to and what that means, you realize that that's actually a very high bar, not a very low bar. And it's the bar that Jesus affirms that you need to love God and love your neighbor. Now, this man asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? And it's amazing based on Jesus' response. Now, the story that Jesus tells is the story of the Good Samaritan. Are you all familiar with it? We use the word Good Samaritan to describe someone who helps somebody in need, who goes out of their way to assist someone. But they didn't understand there to be such thing as a Good Samaritan. That'd be the equivalent of saying, like, a good, a good criminal, Right? This is the, we love movies about good criminals though, so maybe that doesn't go far enough. If you find yourself on the left side of the political spectrum, it'd be a good Trumper. Wow. That was uncomfortable. If you find yourself on the other side of the political spectrum, it'd be like a good QAnon. Wasn't this fun? How uncomfortable is everybody right now? That's how uncomfortable they were with the story of the Good Samaritan. Because there was no such thing. It was the people that they despised. It was the people that was wrong, who, had, who they had wronged and who had wronged them. And there was so much tension between them. Just go ahead and recover from it. Every, like, I, you still feel the tension from that. You're like, what, does, what just happened? Just, <sighs> And Jesus is using this story to, to, to help the man who was questioning him understand that he was asking the wrong question. Because the man asked the question, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, I don't know. Are you a neighbor? Because being a neighbor has more to do with your, the disposition of your heart than it has to do with your geography or your social place or your political perspective or where you find yourself. It's all about who you are. Okay, so that's what Jesus does. And, and the good news in this is that we can take confidence of knowing that even if we ask Jesus the wrong question, he's going to give us the right answer. Man, isn't that encouraging? I remember praying for this guy one time. He injured his knee, and I was like, I, I had been praying for his knee. And um, I was like, you know, man, I saw him next time. And, and he's like, you know, my, my knee is healed. It's so much faster than it was supposed to. I said, I said, how's your knee doing? I've been praying for it. And he goes, well, it's healed faster than it was going to. The doctors were really surprised, and I'm so encouraged. He goes, but it was my ankle. And I was like, well, I'm glad God knew the difference, right? Like, like. Because, like, I was praying, and it, but God's ability to move doesn't un, depend on our ability to understand correctly. Are you tracking? Okay. So we find ourselves in this situation, and I started by saying that I believe that God is speaking to us. So what I want to do is very quickly is talk about recognizing the voice of God and just a few hints about that. But, I wanna, but the priority for today is to understand the, the two ways that we can respond to God. So ways to recognize the voice of God. I want to start by saying not every voice that you hear and that you discern is the voice of God. There's, there is a devil, and he does like to lie. And there is yourself, and you like what you like. Right? And so sometimes we're motivated by ourselves, and sometimes we're motivated by other spiritual things. And I think that's actually, quite honestly, some of the danger with... with um, with some of the drugs that people take today is that they open themselves up to hear from things that are real. And like you can stumble into a space where you can have, you can take on some real spiritual damage because you've used drugs that have opened you up to things that you otherwise wouldn't have been aware of because, because your, your mind does open up and then you do become more aware of the wrong kinds of things. I don't know anybody who's been on drugs who had a proper encounter with Jesus. Okay, I, I, just, I just don't. You don't need it. 
to draw close to Jesus. Jesus will draw close to you on his own, right? That's the whole thing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is so that we could be near to him. And so we don't, we don't need drugs to experience what other people chase in a drug high. Okay, are you, are you tracking? And so that's important to understand, but not every voice that we hear is God. Not every inspirational thing that we hear is the voice of God. I know that there are a lot of uh, influencers in social media and otherwise who say things that are very encouraging and very uh, inspiring, and they speak to our hearts, but it's not always God. Sometimes it will actually draw you away from God. And so we need a level of discernment, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Um, because not every voice is God, we need to make sure that we learn to hear the voice of God. John 10, 10, 4 says that my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. And so how is it that we as the people of God can begin to learn the voice of God so that like Samuel, we can respond appropriately when God is speaking to us? We learn, we learn the voice of God by being with and among the people of God. And when we're with and among the people of God, that we would get into Scripture. Like, like today's passage, the reason it was important to read that out loud is because that's, that's language that Jesus wants to use to talk to you as you move forward. You begin to see and develop a vocabulary that God uses. When you read Proverbs, you realize that God is teaching you a vocabulary to which he, what, that he can use so that you can respond like Samuel responded. God wants to teach you the vocabulary of the Psalms for comfort and for prayer and for inspiration. God wants to teach you the language of, of, the, of the four Gospels so that you can see what Jesus was about and you can see his love for his people and you can see what it means to be a, a disciple of God. The, the, the language of God is developed by spending time with God's people and spending time with the Word so that when the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, he's got some vocabulary to pull on. Right? I remember I was, in a, um, I was taking French in college and I showed up one Sunday, or one Sunday, I showed up on like whatever, Tuesday or whatever it was, probably two days a week. And then um, I, I remember there was a, there was a test for, uh, for the little prince. And, um, and I was like, wow, I had no idea there was a test. And so uh, I, I was like, I didn't realize there was a test today. And the professor's like, yeah, I announced it every, every, every day at the end of class. But my own problem was I didn't understand enough French to understand the announcement. And so I didn't, have enough, I didn't have enough vocabulary to know what I was supposed to know that everybody else knew. It was really embarrassing. And I, I took an L on that one, took a loss, and um, started studying like I was supposed to. And then things got, things got better. I learned some language. And then as I learned the language, I was able to understand the instruction that was coming to me better. And the instruction used the language that I learned, and it used more language, so it grew more robust all the way to the point that I can watch a French movie with English subtitles on it. So, um, all right, so you can read Scripture and get a pretty good idea of the vocabulary of God. So typically, uh, typically when God speaks to us, it's going to remind you more of his righteousness and his loving kindness than your righteousness and your loving kindness. That's a big thing because sometimes what we do is we look for the Instagram one that makes us feel really good about ourselves first. Now, here's the thing. When you know about the goodness of God, your place gets, like, you'll be more enthused about where you are because you'll understand where he is. Does that make sense? So, like, I don't need to learn more about me to be happy about being me. The more I learn about God, the more I understand me. And the healthier I get. So I learn more about God and I'm like, oh, so this, this anger problem that I've got isn't, like, good? And it's like, no, no, just keep getting closer to Jesus and we're going to work this out 
of you. Does that make sense? And so as we hear from God, it's going to remind you of the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of you or the righteousness of man, though it will still be encouraging and inspiring to you. And that's the good news. Sometimes the church can get so much about the righteousness of God that it's like, you're a bunch of garbage, right? Like, is how you can kind of walk away. I know that was my problem. I was like, God is amazing, and I'm a piece of trash. And that's how I would have presented the gospel to you. Like, if I met you on campus, I would have walked up and be like, hey, you know, you're garbage, but God is amazing. I wasn't very effective for a little while. There was a, it was a season that, um, that God corrected. I, I once carried a cross around on campus, like a six-foot-two cross, because I didn't understand. It's another understanding thing. And so, so my youth pastor at the time was like, yeah, my, my volleyball team and I at USC, we carried crosses around on campus. And I was like, that's incredible. He's like, I'm going to carry a cross around on campus. I was like, I want to be like him. And so I, I, he's, like, and he's, like, he's like, we took it everywhere. And I was like, that's incredible. I'm going to take my cross everywhere. So I built, I built a cross like, with wood, like out of the woods, like <laughs> with a rope. I mean, it was like, it was like I was like fashioning it. I was like, I was like I'm like, like Dave DeRocher. I'm going to be the man. And so, so, I, um, so I built this cross. It was like taller than me. And I was carrying, I was like, so I carried it with me in the lunch lines into classrooms. I hung it on the, on the, on the bathroom stall, like, it, like in the dorm. You know, like I was like, it, it went literally every with me. And now that I think about it, it was probably a very filthy cross. <laughs> but, but it went everywhere with me. And um, maybe that's appropriate, the filthy cross. Anyway, so uh, it, it went with me everywhere. And so I show up at church. You know, I'm like, it's like sticking out my windows. And I'm driving to church for the Wednesday night service. And, and I show up and I'm walking with it into church. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just trying to be like you, carrying my cross, I'm carrying it everywhere. And he's like, really? <laughs> everywhere, class, lunch, everywhere. And he goes, I was like, just like you and your, you, you and your teammates. And he's like, yeah. Well, ours were smaller. <laughs> and they were in our backpacks. <laughs> But I didn't understand the hyperbole. I didn't understand what he was saying. And so I ran with it the best I could run with it. And I got it wrong, but God still used it. All right. Um, sometimes, sometimes the voice of God comes from uh, someone uh, that you don't want to hear from. Sometimes God will use somebody that you think you're better than. Oh, we'll talk about spouse in a minute. If you think you're better than your spouse... That's another, oh, or your spouse. <laughs> I was like, Megan and I need counseling. No, no, God will use somebody that you think you're better than. Naaman in the Old Testament was a commander of the Syrian army, but the Israelites had the God of the, God of the world on their side. And so Naaman was struck with leprosy, and that's certain death, and it's certainly before his death, he was going to be an outcast. It was going to cost him everything, his reputation, his life, his influence, his power, his family's position. It was going to cost him everything. And so a servant girl had heard about it. And the servant girl, you think that's the offensive part, but the reality is the servant girl said, hey, there's this thing. And so word gets to Naaman. Then Naaman sends for the prophet. The prophet sends a messenger. That'd be like, that'd be like the president of the United States reaching out to me and me being like, yeah, um, I'm busy. So, you know, like sending, sending an intern on my part to the president of the United States. 
directly to the President of the United States. I, I don't think that would be received well. But that's exactly what Elisha did. And the message was, go wash in the Jordan. Another layer of things that he wouldn't want to do because the Jordan River was dirty. It was, it was gross water. And so he's like, so now you send me a message. <laughs> so a, a, a servant girl brings me this message. It tells me to go to this, this lesser people so that I can encounter their God. And he sends me an intern. And now he's telling me to go get in this disgusting water. Take a hike. But he goes and he does it. He washes in the river and he's healed. Sometimes the voice of God uh, will sound like, uh, will sound exactly like your mentor. That was Samuel's thing. Sometimes the voice of God will sound exactly like your own voice. Sometimes the voice of God will sound exactly like your spouse or your best friend or a good friend or not a friend. Is that what you're fishing for? Which person do you not want to hear from, Sabrina? Let's share with everybody. No, I'm just... (laughs) Because God is so eager to speak with you, he will use literally every single person in your life, literally everything in all of creation that's at his disposal to share this message with you. So he wants to speak to you. And I think that sometimes we miss the voice of God because we didn't even recognize that it was there. Now, here's the thing about the voice of God. As we grow in our understanding, every man of God, every woman of God that I know who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, they're not more independent than they used to be, but they're more dependent on their community than they used to be. They test things and they weigh things and they measure things and they say, hey, I'm having this thought. What do you think about what I'm hearing about revival? What do you, what do you, I have this thought. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about what God's thinking about as it relates to the political climate? What do you think about what I'm thinking Thinking about my family moving across the country to start a church. What do you think about what I'm thinking about? These things that are stirring in my heart. Can you help me discern them? Can you unwrap them? And then giving them also permission to speak to them because the same God who speaks to you can also speak to different people. And if you're the only one hearing it, I would caution you. I would, just, I would caution you that it might not be the word of the Lord, but it, it, but it, might, not be the, it, it might be the word of the Lord, but it might not be for right now. But it might not be the word of the Lord at all. It might have just been the thing that got your attention to press in and really get the word of the Lord. Okay, you tracking? So we don't want to make this weird. We got to keep going. I want to talk about the two dispositions that we can have in response to hearing the word of the Lord. It's you can start with a, you, you could start with a, a, um, a hard heart, a hardened position. Or you can have a humble predisposition. Now, I say a humble predisposition because you have to choose ahead of time. You, humility needs to be chosen ahead of time. It's very, oft, it's very rarely that humility is just the spontaneous byproduct of learning something. So it's a decision that you need to make ahead of time. So let's talk about the hard heart because, uh, because that's not where we want to be. The hard heart can look like a lot of things. A hard heart can look like walking away. It can look like anger. It can look like checking out, staying on the fringes. It can look like hiding. Uh, It can look like distraction. I know sometimes when we hear from God, really what we do is we, we just rush to turn up the volume on sports. We turn up the volume on our streaming. We turn up the volume on our activity. We turn up the volume in our athletic training. We turn up the volume because we try and drown it out. Sometimes, not even because we've got a problem with, with, with the message that's coming to us, but we're afraid of the, the, 
the person on the other side of that message. We're intimidated by the reality that God wants to meet with us. And, and the thought of God, is, it can be scary. If we're thinking rightly about God, he is pretty terrifying. That's why his loving kindness is so amazing. That's why his gentleness is so remarkable. That's why his, his benevolence is such a wonderful gift because the all-powerful God meets us with gentleness. Uh, the two most insidious forms of the hardened heart are pretending and performing. So this teacher of the law understood the standard that Jesus was calling them to. And he saw the gap between them. Love your neighbor. He's like, I do love God with everything I've got. But who can I have permission not to love? There are some people that I've got problems with. If we, if we took the long form of this conversation, if it had opened it up more, I'm sure it would have gone into, because honestly, Jesus, there's some people that I don't love. There's some people that I don't want to be kind towards. There are some people that I do have significant problems with. And, and, and Jesus, I, I would like to withhold my neighborliness from them. I'd like to withhold my love from them. Can I still be a good person and withhold my love from them? Can I still get heaven and withhold my love from them? Can I still get God and withhold my love from them? And God answers that question very clearly by Jesus. But, but so he sees the gap. And when we see the gap, we're going to have to respond. The rich young ruler who, who walked away disheartened. Then you've got this man who's looking at him. And, and, he's, and he's trying to figure out how to wrestle Jesus to the place where he is so that he could be okay in his position. Pretending is one of the ways we try and fill the gap. And we just put on Christian smiley face. And we act like everything's good. I was the king of this. I was the king of this. I was the best. That's not putting on face. I was like really good at pretending. How you doing? Oh, I'm so blessed. My heart is in pieces. I'm falling apart. I'm blessed. We can pretend. We can, we can put on a show for everybody else. But then when we get back to our house, we're just a mess. You can also perform. I, if there was anything I was better at pretending, it was performing. Showing up at everything, doing everything, making sure that I was seen doing the things. So that not only God would be pleased by all of my action, so everybody else could also be pleased with me because of all of my action. Because I was loving God and loving my neighbor the best. The reality is I had some, some pain on the inside. And I had some fears and insecurity on the inside. I had some sin that I really, really wanted on the inside. And I was afraid to admit it to myself. I was afraid to admit it to God. I was afraid to admit it to any man. So instead I pretended and I performed myself nearly to death. Spiritual death. And then I learned about God's grace and God's gentleness and his mercy. I trusted my heart to God and he saved me. I entrusted my heart to other men and to other women. And they reminded me of God's saving. And they inspired me in the midst of the things that used to hold me captive. So pretend and perform are the two most insidious because they look the best on the outside. And I believe that right now in this season, this is one of the things that God wants to remove from the church the most is the pretending and the performing. Pretending and performing, man, that only hurts people. 
It only hurts you. It withholds the grace of God from you that would change your life. But then you start holding other people to a pretend standard and a performed standard. And who you can't keep up with, now you're inviting them to keep up with. All right, so let's talk about the other option. The humble predisposition. The humble predisposition to the things of God is to admit our weakness. What a countercultural idea, huh? In a world that we need to be so strong in, in a world where we need to put on such strong face and for everything to be okay, the invitation of God is to be humble. And what that looks like across generations and what that looks like across culture will be different, but it's recognizable in all of them. Humility that comes when we encounter the voice of God and the presence of God produces confession of weakness and need. I wish it would have been a, can you imagine the story if the lawyer was like, he heard it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the man said, and Jesus says, right, do this and you'll live. And he said, the only problem is, Jesus, I don't think I can do it. Hear me, I, I, I want to. I want what you have for me, but what you're asking from me, it's, it's impossible. I can't, I can't live up to that. Well, then the story changes. Then it becomes a story about healing and wholeness. It becomes a story of transformation and a revelation of the grace of God that meets that man and overflows to a city. God wants to speak to you. I believe he has been speaking to you. He's been calling your name. He's been inviting you into special places. He wants to talk to you about life. He wants to talk to you about meaning and purpose. He wants to talk to you about your studies. He wants to talk to you about your work. He wants to talk to you about your family and about your relationships. My concern is twofold that we would miss the voice of God because we mistake it to be something else or two that we wouldn't respond adequately wisely when we recognize it to be his voice